we are continuing our Lenten homily series on proof for God's existence. Today's homily is arguments for God's existence from philosophy. If you miss the other three that were before this, all you have to do is go to our parish website and click on the link for homily, and you'll get the recording of that. In today's gospel reading from Matthew 17, we hear this. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Jesus took three of his disciples, three human beings, on a mountain and showed to them his divinity. He opened their minds and revealed to them through his humanity that he is God. There are many ways that God can use our humanity to reveal himself to us, to help us see that he exists. Separate from religion, he can reveal himself to us in our humanity and in nature. So one way is through philosophy. In essence, the work of philosophy is all about thinking. How to think. How we as human beings think. And then how to use our minds and reason in order to discover the truth. I've been blessed with the church's education, the tradition of educating priests. I, I have four college degrees. My first degree was in philosophy. And it was my first love. Long before I studied theology, I was able to study the, the philosophers from the ancient times, from the medieval times, from the modern times, up to the contemporary times, and see how we have thought about life across the ages. And it lit my mind on fire. It taught me how to think. And then from that, learning how humanity thinks, I wanted to learn how God thinks. And so that's what propelled me then to study philosophy, theology. And one of my favorite modern philosophers, and arguably the greatest philosophical mind of the 21st century, is Dr. Peter Kreft, professor of philosophy at Boston College. I've been following him for years. He's a prolific writer. Dr. Dr. Kreft is also a practicing Catholic. Many atheists and agnostics today claim that it is unreasonable and illogical to believe that God exists. A whole history of great philosophical minds up and down the ages begs to differ, including Dr. Kreft. Based upon Thomas Aquinas' five arguments for the existence of God, Dr. Kreft wrote a brilliant conversation between a believer and a non-believer that clearly demonstrates that it is both reasonable and logical to believe in the existence of God. I've asked Ed Watson, our school vice principal and parish youth minister, to join me for this dialogue. Hope you're ready, Father. Today, you promised to answer my big questions. And before we begin, begin thank you. I don't know if we could... Uh, have a really good conversation if you weren't such a good listener, as well as a good talker. 
<laughs> I do like to talk, and I'm listening now. What's your question? Father, prove to us there's a God. This isn't just a game to you, is it? No, I don't know what to believe sometimes, and I want to know. What do you know? Well, why do you ask that? So we can start from somewhere. All right, well, I'm not sure if God exists, but I know that the world exists. I don't know if any religion is true, but I do know that science is true. Fine, that's a great starting point. But how can you bring me from science to God? There's no scientific proof that there's a God. This way. Without God, there could be no science. Without science, there could be no God. What? How do you figure that? If there were no universe for science to know, there could be no science, right? Of course. And if there were no God to create the universe, there could be no universe. Therefore, if there were no God, there could be no science. I see what you're saying, but I disagree, and I am free to disagree. Yes, and I'm free to ask you why you disagree. I gave you my reason, now you give me yours. All right, well, that's fair. I don't believe that God created the universe. Who did, then? Walt Disney? <laughs> Nobody. I'm saying it was always there. You say God always was, right? Right. Well, then why can't I say that the universe always was? A fair question. And do you have a fair answer? I think so. I think if you look at the universe, you find evidence for a God who made it. I just don't see that. Maybe that's because you're looking only with your eyes, not your mind. What, what does that mean? Maybe you're not asking enough questions. Me? Father, I question everything. I know, I know. <laughs> then question the universe. Ask it how it got there. If you do, you'll find at least five different clues that point to God. There are many arguments for God than these five but these are clues, and there are clues all over life, signs that point to God. But these five are based upon what you see in nature. That sounds pretty solid and scientific so far. Were these invented by a modern scientist? No, by a medieval philosopher, one of my favorite, St. Thomas Aquinas. Ah. You sound disappointed. Father, the Middle Ages were so primitive. In technology, yes but not in philosophy or theology. Their machines were not sophisticated, but their minds were so sharp. All right, let's hear these five proofs. Great. The first one is called the argument from motion. Think of it this way. You, if you see some dominoes in a long row falling down, you know someone pushed them, right? Right. Why? How do you, how do you know that? Why couldn't they just move themselves. Nothing moves itself. Right. And therefore, neither does the whole universe. Think of the universe as an enormous chain of dominoes, all moving. Something outside the chain must have started the movement in the beginning. Otherwise, it couldn't move because, as you just said, nothing can move itself. Wait a minute, Father. I move myself. Our minds move our bodies. 
but our bodies don't move themselves. Ever seen a corpse move itself? A corpse is just a body without a mind or soul. So nothing moves itself. And the universe is moving, changing. Everything in it is one great process of change. Therefore, therefore there must be a first mover. But that doesn't mean it's God. What is it then? Scientific laws. <laughs> laws, laws are just descriptions of how things move. You need a real thing, not just a law, really to move another real thing. Yeah, but why can't it just be some material thing instead of God? All material things make up the whole universe. Part of it can't move all of it. The whole universe needs a mover outside of it, something more than the universe, something more than nature, above nature, outside of nature, supernature, supernatural. Well, that sounds pretty vague. The God you believe in is much more than that, right? Certainly. This argument only proves that there's some natural cause behind, or supernatural cause, behind the change in the universe. I know who God is from other sources, from the Bible, from 2,000 years of humanity reflecting upon the Word of God and living it out, through prayer, through having a relationship with God. But it's the same God. There's only one. Okay. What's the second proof? It's the argument from the very existence of things, not just their movement. You need a first cause of existence just as you need a first cause of motion because nothing can make itself exist if it isn't already there. Nothing can cause itself. All right, nothing can cause itself. Nobody can be their own parents, but how does that prove God? If there's no God who eternally exists, how can existence begin? If there's no God who has existence by his own nature and doesn't get it from any cause, how can the gift of existence be passed down the chain of creatures who borrow it from each other? If nobody has a certain book, how can others borrow it? If nobody has the authority to give a soldier a weekend pass, how can he ever get it? You can't give what you don't have, so somebody must have existence and not just borrow it. But why couldn't this being that's always, that always has existence be part of the universe? Why does it have to be a God outside of the universe and outside of space? Outside of time, too. He has to be eternal, to be uncaused, and to have no beginning. But why? Students always ask, if God made everything, who made God? What do you say to that? Why doesn't God need a cause? Good question. Because he's first. If nobody's first, nobody can be second, or third, or fourth. But things in the universe are second, and third, and fourth, and fifteenth millionth. Therefore, there is a first. All right. You don't, your argument doesn't tell me much about God, just that something is first. It tells us that he exists eternally, without beginning, and that he causes the existence of everything else. That's something, at least, enough to bother an atheist like you, isn't it? Yes. What's the third argument? It's from observing that everything dies. It ceases to exist. 
Now, if there were no God who never died, who never ceased to exist, then eventually everything would die and nothing could begin again. And then there would be nothing at all. But that's absurd. There is something. There's you, there's me, there's us. Well, maybe there just hasn't been enough time yet for everything to die. I mean, even the stars. But if there's no God, no creator, then there's no beginning to the universe, right? Right. The universe always was. Well, always is enough time for everything. If the universe had no birthday, then there's been an infinity of time already. That's what infinity means. Enough time for everything that could possibly happen to happen, including the possibility of universal death, universal destruction. So then how come we're still here? Father, the universe is only like 13.8 billion years old. And you talked before about the Big Bang Theory and how that happened. Yeah, and there's another piece of evidence for you. If there's no God, the universe always was. But science itself says the universe came into being 13.8 billion years ago. That's a different argument. Yes, the point of this one, Aquinas' third proof, is that without an eternal God, everything would eventually cease to be and not be able to create itself anew, zero, forever. But won't that actually happen? The second law of thermodynamics says that energy gets dissipated, it wears down, that even galaxies will get cold like giant cups of coffee. The point is, why didn't that happen already? if the universe is all there is and has always been there? I don't know. What's your fourth proof? The fourth one is an easy one. In the universe, some things are better than others, right? Of course. So there must be a best, a standard of goodness to judge all the relative betters. One thing is closer to it than another, and this standard has to be absolute goodness. Why? Father, everything is relative. There is no absolute. Absolutely? Okay, so that's a contradiction, but everything is relative. To what? Not to any absolute, to each other, everything else. It's just perpetual progress. Nothing is unchanging. Progress to what goal? If the goal or standard moves too, how can you ever make progress toward it? How can you steal a moving second base? Progress implies an absolute, unchanging goal or standard. So this argument says that if one thing is better than another, then there has to be a God? An absolute good, yes, that's God. Well, maybe one thing really isn't better than another. Maybe it's just our way of looking at things. Hmm, you mean maybe people aren't really better than cows? Well, I mean, maybe. Then why not eat people as well as cows? And why not preach hate as well as love? If goodness is only our prejudice, why pay attention to it? All right, you've got me. I'm not crazy. I mean, of course love is better than hate and people are better than cows. Then there must be a standard of goodness, a God. What's the fifth proof? It's the easiest of all. It's called the argument from design. Design proves a designer and nature is full of design. Therefore, there must be a designer behind it all. Can you make that a little bit less abstract, Father? Sure. Suppose you were shipwrecked on a desert island and you found a message written 
on the sand in English. Would you think it was written by chance by, let's say, the wind? Of course not. Or if you found a house there, would you think it just evolved by chance? No, it would mean that someone had been on the island. Well, the universe has more design in it than a house. How could it have happened just by chance? You know, there was two scientists talking to each other at the first moon rocket took off back in the 1960s. One was a believer and the other was an atheist. The believer said, isn't it wonderful that our rocket is going to hit the moon by chance? The atheist replied, what do you mean by chance? We put billions of hours of planning into that rocket. Well, if you don't explain the rocket by chance, why do you explain the universe by chance? It's much more complicated than our rocket. We can design a rocket, but we can't design a universe. The same two scientists were walking past an antique store, and the atheist, who was an art collector, saw a painting in the window, window in a, that attracted him. He, he said, who painted that? He asked. Nobody, said the believer. It just happened by chance. It doesn't sound likely, but it could all have just happened by chance, you know? I mean, they say if you put a million monkeys at a million typewriters for a million years, they'll eventually type out Hamlet just by chance. Maybe so. But if you found a copy of Hamlet, would, you wouldn't believe monkeys made it by chance, would you? No, it's, it's very improbable. But, but it is possible. Why then do you use different standards of explanation when it's a question of God? You don't use the tremendously unlikely explanation of Hamlet, or the rocket, or the pitcher, or the house in the desert. The only reason you use it for the whole universe is to avoid admitting a God. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to take a look at my motives. Good. Then here's another thing. Would you trust a computer programmed by chance? Let's say by the fall of hailstones on its computer, for instance. No. Or if you were flying in an airplane and the public address system announced that the plane was being flown by a computer that had been programmed by a football player in spiked shoes walking over computer cards, would you trust the airplane to land you safely? No. Then why do you trust your brain and nervous system? Why trust the system? It's like a very complex computer. If it's been brain programmed only by chance, by blind nature, and not by God, not by a designer, why trust it when it does science? And when it tells you about nature or about itself? And if you can't trust the programmer of the human brain, then why then you cannot trust the brain when it tells you about the brain? All right, Father, these are good arguments, but I can't base my life on an argument. And as I told you, I don't do that either. But they are strong clues, at least signs, evidence, all pointing to God. I admit that, if I'm honest. But I still don't know about God. You will. Honesty is the beginning of the love of God. Why do you say that? Because honesty is the love of truth. And God is truth. Thank you, Ed. In today's gospel, Jesus reveals himself to three human beings, three disciples. There are many ways that God 
can and does reveal himself to us, like through truth. If truth is really truth, it comes from the origin of all truth, God. One of the ways that humanity has discovered and preserved truth up and down the ages is through the science of philosophy, a way of thinking based upon reason and logic. As we just learned from Dr. Peter Kraft, one of the greatest philosophers of the modern age, that a belief in the existence of God is totally reasonable and logical. Like our last argument, the design proves a designer and all nature is full of design, therefore there must be a designer behind it. That's philosophy. A final thought. As any of us Christians who loves God knows, a belief in God based upon logic and reason is not enough. How could it be and why would it ever be? Eventually, this belief must move from the head to include the heart, from thinking to also loving, from a cosmic designer to an intimate lover, from a God of the universe to the God who became human. And not just to prove his existence to us, but to join us in our human condition and show us how much he loves us and what love really is. Enough to die upon a cross and to give us the hope for eternal love with him.